You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. If you are listening to the podcast of this, it is located at RudolfSteiner.Podbean.com. Please consider becoming a patron. As well, there are two publishing houses, SteinerBooks.org in America and RudolfSteinerPress.com in England, who are the sole publishers of Steiner into English and have given me permission to do these recordings. Please consider patronizing them as well. This is a reading of Collected Works, Volume 266, Volume 3, uh, entitled Esoteric Lessons, 1913-1923 by Rudolf Steiner, translated by Marsha Post. These are not the direct words of Rudolf Steiner in a stenographic form. They are notes that the participants wrote after the lessons, as Steiner would not let them uh, take notes during the lesson itself. This is part 6, which goes from page 235 of the book to page 280. Esoteric lesson given in Berlin on March 27, 1914. Record A. It was discussed how difficult it was going to be that he, Rudolf Steiner, could not be with us any more this winter, and that we must feel all the more intensively that we are united in the spirit. Then we went into the fact that if we just do our exercises earnestly and intensively enough, we do make progress on the esoteric path, whether we notice it or not. We must only pay more attention to ourselves and evermore have the feeling, it is not I who thinks, but it thinks me. Thus, it is not the physical body that thinks, but the etheric body. The physical body is just the mirror or an echo. Just as we, looking into a mirror, pay attention only to a mirror image and forget the real figure, so too with an echo. We do not pay attention to what we call out, but only to the call bouncing back. Thus we do not notice that thinking takes place in the etheric body and is only mirrored by the physical body. The more we make our etheric body independent, we experience two things. These experiences are that at one time our eye expands into the widths of space, and at another time we experience our inner being in solitude, and find our other self in the depths. Human beings in their skin are only as if in hulls in which spiritual forces surge up and down. It is as if our thoughts emerge as figures out of us and place themselves around us. We will then experience our good and our evil. We experience them as follows. Of the good that it points into the future and leads there to a sprouting plant-like life, and of the evil that may not come to be a deed but remain only purely in thought, such that in the future it might serve as nourishment for the good. The nourishment for our three kingdoms came about only because the beings that went through their human stage on the old moon experienced their evil meditatively and consciously, without letting the evil come to be a deed. Evil arose on earth because the moon beings that remained behind, luciferic beings, did not meditate their evil on the moon, but do so now on the earth and implant it in the human beings. On the other hand, we must feel our eye expanding more and more into space and not within our physical body. 
we must experience the surroundings of this sense world in comparison to the spiritual world as an air bubble in water, as a spherical nothingness. We should experience these things often and ever again in thought. For this we are given as a help three formulations that we meditate mornings, evenings and Sundays. They will help us in the near future to make the etheric body independent. The first formulation, verse, expresses what is said in Ex Deonasimur, the second in In Christo Morimur, and the third in Per Spiritum Sanctum Revivissimus. I turn to things. I turn with my senses. Sense being, you deceive me. What flees existence as nothing is being and essence to you. May what must seem to you worth nothing reveal itself within me. Spirit light, warm me. Let me feel myself willing in you. What is well-thought, cognized truth? How does the luminous eye experience you? Weaving error, badly thought out, show yourself to the beacon of my soul that I may be weaving in myself. Luminous eye and beacon soul, hover above true being of becoming. What is thought out, what cognized, condenses now to spirit being. And, like pearls of existence, there dwells in the sea of divine truth what deceives the sense's existence. Close quote, end of record A. Record B. Even when we cannot be together much physically, we can still be conscious of being together spiritually. We are not separated. In the etheric world where our thoughts touch each other, the separation does not exist as it does in the material world. And more and more we will become aware that our eye, as it were, expands itself in our thoughts and becomes all-encompassing. That is an instance of progress to which esotericists must pay attention, because the thought life becoming independent is proof that we are making progress through our exercises and meditations. We feel as if the thoughts are being thought within us, independent of us, and not as we had formerly when we felt as if we ourselves brought forth the thoughts. We feel as if the thoughts within us are surrounded by an ever further expanding spiritual atmosphere. It is as if we send out a part of our eye into the thoughts and are thereby united with what we are separated from in the physical. We expand and stretch ourselves into our whole surroundings. And in this feeling of being spiritually united with the things, we can gradually become aware that the true being of the things lies in this invisible, though sensed as real, spiritual atmosphere. Whereas the material things will more and more divulge their characteristic of unreality. In order to inwardly realize this more and more, we can meditate the following, quote, I turn to things. I turn with my senses. Sense being, you deceive me. 
What flees existence as nothing is being and essence to you. May what must seem to you worth nothing reveal itself within me. Yet there are other times when we must do the opposite to a certain extent. We must then feel ourselves totally within ourselves, as if the second self were to arise out of ourselves. This self is our true I, capital, and must become ever more powerful. These two situations must alternate with each other. And then, feeling ourselves in solitude and gaining strength in ourselves, we will gradually feel more powerfully than ever before the good and the evil within us. The good in us will reveal itself such that we sense it as a growing. It is growing into the future where it will bear fruit. We sense how the evil which is still in us and which we can place clearly before the spirit in ideas must become nourishment for the growing good. We feel how the evil is something withering and dying, whereas the good is something growing. However, we also sense that the strong growth of the good depends on the nourishment it can receive through the dying evil. We must be able to feel both the good and the evil in us at the same time. And we must know, at the same time, that the evil that we can think must never become a deed. It is important that we know it, but never do it. From this we see again how earnest the esoteric training is. For when we become clearly conscious of the possibilities of the evil in us, we are at the same time tempted also to do it. And we should know that just as certainly as we must recognize the possibilities of the evil in us and let them become an idea for the strong growth of the good, so must we never, even in the smallest way, allow the evil to become a deed. What is around us in the kingdoms of nature and what serves us as nourishment exists because the gods on the old moon thought the evil as well as the good in the way that we must now also do it. Just as the mineral soil provides the nourishment for the plant world, so will our ideas of the evil become the soil or ground out of which the good will nourish itself. The mineral kingdom of the earth arose because the Elohim on the moon thought the evil, the error. Out of this, the matter, the mineral kingdom of the earth arose, and out of this matter, Yahweh was able to make the human being, the material sheath. The fact that we also have in our earth evolution the evil in this form, as evil actions and everything that is bad, is due to the Luciferic gods who did not think the evil on the old moon, where its rightful place would have been and would have then become nourishment but who now think it on earth. Thus the Luciferic gods, thinking the evil on earth, is the cause of the evil actions and errors of human beings. The second verse expresses the living I, capital, becoming strongly conscious of itself. The I begins to feel itself within itself, weaving, shining, living. And it has clear insight into everything that it bears within itself as the future blossom of the good. It also grasps in clear ideas its possibilities of evil that should never pass over into actions. This second verse is as follows. Quote, Spirit light, 
warm me. Let me feel myself willing in you. What is well thought, cognized truth, how does the luminous eye experience you? Weaving error, badly thought out, show yourself to the beacon of my soul that I may be weaving in myself. Close quote. And then the eye that has become self-conscious can turn itself toward the outside again. Then, however, it rises again out of itself and recognizes the spiritual meaning and significance of the things. It realizes that where the senses see objects, there is really nothing. There are openings or gaps and a much more real and more condensed existence around them. The eye experiences the sense world like round holes, like existence bubbles. It feels itself living and weaving in the dense spirit world, which became real life there where the sense organs cannot perceive anything. Thus, with the third verse that we meditate for this, we can put ourselves to the test. If the other two verses, for instance, are meditated daily in the morning and evening, the first verse in the morning and the second in the evening, then on Sundays we can, in addition to these two, take up the third verse at a time that lies between them. This is in order to test to what extent it has all become reality. This then is in turn a strengthening of another formulation that is actually contained in these three verses, E-D-N-I-C-M-P-S-S-R. In the first verse, we can feel the true creative power that lies at the foundation of sense existence, E-D-N. In the second verse, we enter into solitude, as if we were withering or dying, in order to find in us what knows itself to be united with Christ, I-C-M. In the third verse, we resurrect out of ourselves. We are really born into the Spirit and know the Spirit existence, P-S-S-R. We must develop ourselves as I-being to be an organ of the spiritual world. Quote, Luminous I and beacon soul hover above true being of becoming. What is thought out, what cognized, condenses now to spirit being. And like pearls of existence there dwells in the sea of divine truth what deceives the sense's existence. Quote. These verses must, however, be meditated. Then they will bring much progress. It is not enough to know the content. Even the most highly developed esotericists who have already known the content for a long time must meditate them ever again, alternating them. End of record B. Record C. My dear sisters and brothers, everyone is concerned about progress in esoteric development and may ask themselves if they are really progressing in their development toward the spiritual. Yes, all students who really conscientiously use the exercises given by the teacher progress further than they think. It is just that they may not think that something tumultuous will occur during their exercises or as a result of them. This is because the spiritual world approaches us 
intimately and quietly. Of course, one thing is certain. All who want to find their way into the spiritual world must change their thinking. Their whole perceptual life and feeling life must become different. It is just that this becoming different is so often misunderstood. People like to think that they can carry over into the spiritual world what they have amassed in knowledge on the physical plane. Using the same means with which they have made themselves clever within the physical world, they believe that they can knowledgeably enter the spiritual world. Esotericists must learn to see that the means through which we progress on the physical plane are totally different from those we must use to enter the spiritual world. Esoteric students must more and more learn to feel their way into the spiritual world through their devoted feelings. They must learn to tell themselves that it is not so much the content of the thoughts that matters in meditating as it is the whole attitude and mood of soul with which the meditation is done. These, attitude and mood, are what transform the soul and gradually form the organs of the soul. Such a devoted, reverent mood of soul does not work only into the astral body. Rather, esotericists will come more and more to feel their etheric body. And when this happens, it is a very important moment for the process of esoteric development. Become clear about the following, my dear sisters and brothers. I stretch out my hand and bump the blackboard. In the physical sense realm, we would say that here is an object upon which my hand met resistance. In the spiritual, however, there, where I bumped the blackboard, is a nothingness. In the spiritual world, there is a hole there, a gap, emptiness. Holes are there in the spiritual world where, in the physical world, objects exist. However, before my hand arrives at this nothingness, I reach my hand through a spiritual world that is in turn empty, a nothingness for physical vision. It is spiritually, however, completely filled with realities, with spiritual beings. When we as students of spiritual science think through what has just been indicated, we must learn to say to ourselves, thus, when I look at something physical, I see in reality the outlines or contours of the spiritual world. Students must wrestle through to such knowledge. They must see the spirit behind everything. Only then will they see the physical correctly. What do we see when we look at an autumn landscape? We see a withering and dying in the physical, but behind it we sense already the new living seeds that rest themselves free from what is dying. It is the new life that wrenches itself from the death, which is still spiritual and will, however, clothe itself with matter in the spring. A quite simple example can show us that where objects exist in the physical sense realm, only nothingness or emptiness exists in the spiritual. Take a bottle of club soda. You do not see the water. You see only the sparkling bubbles of carbon dioxide. These are merely air, nothing. You do not see the water, the physical outside of these bubbles of carbon dioxide. Thus we also do not see the spiritual in the midst of the physical. These shimmering things of the perceptual world are covering it up for us. When esotericists have lived into and become accustomed to this fundamental truth, 
that they are surrounded in the physical sense world by a mere nothingness, then a second truth will open up to them, and this truth is, it thinks me, and not I think. Until now, they believed that their thoughts had value in the world. Now they gradually learn that in the spiritual realm there is a cosmic power which, when it thinks, also creates. And they learn that all human thinking is only a shadow-like reflection of this cosmic thinking. The cosmic thinking is produced by a lofty spirit being for whom thinking is characteristic to the same degree that sense perception is for the human being. The students learn that human thoughts are only shadows that are mirrored by the physical body. These human thoughts have the value of shadows only, and yet they are necessary for the physical world. Esoteric students must transform these thoughts through their meditation so that realities come into being out of the shadow structures. Esoteric students learn to look upon their proud thinking with ever-increasing modesty. They ask themselves, how can I change my thinking so that through the transformation of the shadow thoughts I can create an instrument through which with time to enter into the spiritual world. The students, by striving to free themselves from the shadow thoughts, will gradually be able to concentrate themselves within their etheric body. No longer will they feel themselves as a human being within only their physical body. They will sense the physical body more and more as a shadow when they have to experience themselves on the physical plane. When they step before a mirror, it gives the outer impression of their physical form. It is not the human being himself or herself, however, but only a reflection of the human being. When they step away from the mirror, the image is gone. Seemingly, they are gone. Yet in spite of that, they are there, even without the mirror. The mirror produces only a shadow picture of their outer form. When esoteric students have trained themselves to recognize the shadow nature of the thoughts in themselves and have this as a basic mood of their soul, they then grow into a spiritual world. This mood of soul consists of recognizing that the thought shadows are in the outer physical world in science and in social life and that we ourselves as physical human beings are only shadows of our own inner being. The students look back into the past, out of which they have become what they feel in themselves at this moment of their soul development. And they look into the future that lies before humanity. And then they know the following. Everything has come into being out of the thoughts of the lofty spirit being. How can we free ourselves from all the shadow thinking around us? How can we learn to think in such a way that when we as human beings draw near in reverence to this being, we will be accepted. We recognize that all of the thoughts we think on earth of the good, of goodwill, of the noble, of love, become enduring, everlasting assets of existence which do not pass away like shadows that disappear. We see them before us, perhaps still a long way off in the future. They are living there and working for the welfare of humanity. And we see that also all the evil, the wrong and the deceitful live on 
They do not pass away. We see the lower egotistical elements of human beings in the future, but we know those are waste products of human evolution. They are in themselves unfruitful, yet they still have their task. These waste products serve as nourishment for what will develop as the good. All of the evil, the bad, becomes what shall later develop into nourishment for the seeds of the good. Just as here on the physical plane the mineral soil yields the nourishment for the plant world, as the fertilizer made of stone makes the growth of plants possible, the one nourishing itself from the other, so will all the evil thoughts and all that is falsely known be the basis or fundament for the sprouting thoughts of the good, the noble and the true in the elemental world. Through such knowledge, esotericists can better interpret the bad, the error, and the evil they see around them in the world. They see it around them and should imagine it in thought, but they know that they may not go further than the point where it is thought. They do not let it pass over into deed, which is always luciferic aramonic. They look calmly upon all the bad and the evil, knowing that it will all at some time provide the ground upon which the seed of the good will some day grow. It has also actually taken place thus in the evolution of the earth. For how did the mineral kingdom of the earth arise? On the old moon, the earth was not yet there. The hierarchies of beings, from those going through their human stage at that time on up to the spirits of form, gradually worked their way up to what surrounds us here in the earth condition as wisdom. They thought error upon error. That was appropriate there. However, all of those errors became waste products out of which the material, mineral kingdom on earth came into being. And out of this earth material, Yahweh Elohim was able to form the human being to give the physical sheath. Lucifer, however, who is now at a similar stage as the Elohim were on the old moon, still wants to carry this on. Yet he can make use only of human beings for his work by letting the error and the lie be thought within the inner being of human beings. My dear sisters and brothers, today I wish to give you three meditational formulas for your further work on your path into the spiritual world. You can meditate them in any way you like, for instance, the first in the morning, the second in the evening, and the third on Sundays. Or you can also do the first and second verses on Thursdays and Mondays, and the third one now and then, as a test of what was experienced in the first two verses. With time, the whole depth of these meditations will become clear. Verse number one, quote, I turn to things. I turn with my senses. Sense being, you deceive me. What flees existence as nothing is being and essence to you. May what must seem to you worth nothing reveal itself within me. Quote. First line, I turn to things. Actually, the soul should turn, as with an inner gesture, to the things of the outer world. The second line, I turn with my senses. 
This should strengthen the first line. We should inwardly really feel how we turn ourselves to the things of the outer world with a swing, and not just glancing fleetingly, but wanting to know them in their essence or being. The third line, Since being you deceive me. In the third line, the semblance of the senses is addressed. The soul should learn to free itself intensively for moments from the nothingness of the sense world. By knowing ever more clearly the character of the nothingness of the sense world, they will completely change their inner stance to the physical material realm. They will learn to see the material, the matter, as necessary for life in the sense world but at the same time to raise themselves above it to what is creative cosmic existence behind the nothingness. They will gradually learn to free themselves from the nothingness in such a manner that they spread themselves as with a swing of the soul out into space. There they will behold and feel everything material is perishable. However, the good and the true in me are not perishable. They are eternal. I may co-create the eternal, co-build the seed for the future through my soul living in the flood of the divine truth and the good in what is the divine creative that creates and works in the world. E.D.N. Verse number two, quote, Spirit light, warm me. Let me feel myself willing in you. What is well-thought cognized truth? How does the luminous eye experience you? Weaving error, badly thought out, show yourself to the beacon of my soul that I may be weaving in myself. If in the first verse we have lifted ourselves as with a swinging of the soul above the merely earthly, The second verse lets us find a way into our own self. We immerse ourselves deeply into the solitude of the soul. The soul draws itself together more and more tightly. It, the I, capital, knows ever more what our soul bears within it of good and noble thoughts and of evil and foolish thoughts. And the I acknowledges that both are necessary in the course of development of the earthly human being. The task of the evil shows itself to be the future nourishment for the good. The good will nourish itself like a sprouting seed from the soil of the evil. It will consume all the evil and corruption and will itself found an eternal existence. And the soul knows that both the good and the evil will be taken up by Christ. He will separate them. We must bring to Christ our whole soul existence so that it may one day bring fruits of eternity. We must learn to carry it, our soul existence, into Christ, to let it die into Him. I blank M. Verse number three. Luminous I and beacon soul hover above true being of becoming what is thought out what cognized, condenses now to spirit being. And like pearls of existence there dwells in the sea of divine truth what deceives the sense's existence. 
close quote. One could consider it to be an error that in the first line there are two subjects and in spite of that the verb in line two is in the singular. I must admit that I did not notice this at first when the meditation was given to me out of the spiritual world. One merely takes it up at first and becomes clear about it only later. In the spiritual world there is nothing, however, that could be assessed theoretically. There everything is experienced and felt. There is just as little personal intention involved in each of these three verses consisting of seven lines. This last third verse should be a test for the first two. When we meditate it, this verse shall show us if the first two have proven themselves fruitful. If they have borne fruit, we can experience how our whole being forms itself as if into a chalice. And we experience that our soul chalice takes into itself and unites itself with the cosmic spirit weaving and flowing through the universe, the Holy Spirit. The soul takes the awakener into itself. In the Holy Spirit, the soul awakens to a new existence, P-S-S-R. When we learn really to live in these three mantras, we thus experience at the same time in ever new form the inexhaustible content of our ten-word Rosicrucian mantra, which is of such an infinitely deep manifold significance. The end of Record C. Record D. Progress in esoteric development is important to us all. All who practice conscientiously come forward in their development. Many who do their exercises punctually and conscientiously make perhaps more progress than they believe. We must only observe with exactitude as the spiritual world approaches us quietly and intimately. Of course, one thing is certain. All who want to enter into the spiritual worlds must change their thinking. Their whole perceptual life and feeling life must become different. This becoming different is so often misunderstood. People think that they can carry over into the spiritual world what they have amassed in knowledge on the physical plane. Esotericists must learn to understand that other means are necessary to enter into the spiritual worlds than those necessary for making progress on the physical plane. They must more and more feel their way into the spiritual world. They must tell themselves that the important thing in meditating is not so much the content, the thoughts, but the attitude, the mood of soul with which they execute the meditation. That is what transforms the soul and builds the organs of the soul. When esotericists find themselves in such a proper soul state, they will also come more and more to feel their etheric body. When I reach out with my hand and bump against the blackboard, we would say on the physical sense plane, there is an object against which my hand found resistance. On the spiritual plane, there is precisely a nothingness there. There are holes there. There are gaps there in the spiritual world where sense-perceptible objects are in the physical. However, before I come up against this resistance, I penetrate through the spiritual world that is completely filled with realities, with spiritual beings. In truth, it is not the object we see in space, 
but the outlines of the spiritual world. Esotericists must penetrate through to such knowledge. They must see the spirit behind everything. When they stand before an autumn landscape, they must already sense in the wilting and dying the new living seeds and see them rest themselves free, these seeds that will offer themselves up in the spring by clothing themselves with matter. A quite simple example can show us that where a sense-perceptible object is present in the physical, mere nothingness exists in the spiritual. Take, for instance, a bottle of club soda. Although the water is denser, we do not see it because of the shining bubbles of effervescent carbon dioxide that are actually only air, a nothingness. Thus we also do not see the spiritual because of the shimmering things of the sense-perceptible world. When the esotericists have accustomed themselves to this truth that they are surrounded in the physical sense world by pure nothingness, a second truth will soon dawn on them. That truth is, it thinks me, and not I think. Namely, that all of our thoughts are only shadow-like. We are accustomed to believe that thinking takes place in the physical body, but that is not so. In reality, the etheric body is the originator of our thoughts. The physical body is involved only in that it serves as a mirror, reflecting back the thoughts produced in the etheric body. When we look into a mirror, we see a reflected image. The mirror reflects the outer impression of our physical form. Without our physical form, there would be no reflected image. This mirrored image is only a shadow picture of our outer form. In the same way, the thoughts that have their living origin and domicile in the etheric body are only reflected shadow pictures when we think them in our physical brain. Through meditation and concentration, we should come to free ourselves from the shadow thoughts. This will occur through the concentration of our soul, of our self, in the etheric body so that we penetrate to the true, actual source of our thoughts that live in the etheric body. When we have trained ourselves to recognize and know the shadow nature of our thoughts and our outer surroundings, we then grow into the spiritual world. We will then also know that all the thoughts we engender on earth of the good, of goodwill and of the noble, will transform into eternal existential value and will remain in existence. We see them at a distance in the future. There they live for the well-being of humanity. And we also see all that is evil, bad, untruthful, and all lower egotistical thoughts, as if in the distance, but they remain behind as waste products, which become nourishment for the good. All that is evil and bad becomes what is in itself unfruitful, but becomes nourishment for what will develop out of the seed of the good. Just as here on the physical plane the mineral soil provides the nourishment for the plants, and the one always feeds the other, so too will all bad thoughts and what is poorly known become the basis or soil for the thoughts of the good, the noble and the true that are sprouting in the elemental world. 
For this reason, esotericists can interpret the bad and the error so well. They should imagine it in thought. Yet they know that they must not let it go further than thought. They must not let it pass over into deed, into reality, which is always luciferic and aramonic. They know that it, the bad and the error, provides the soil from which the seed of the good shall grow one day. It has actually also taken place thus in the evolution of the earth. In this way the mineral kingdom of the earth arose. On the old moon, hierarchies from those at the stage of the human being on up to the spirits of form, thought, error. This was appropriate there, and out of this the material, the mineral, came into being on earth. And out of this earthly material, Yahweh Elohim was able to build the human being and give the physical sheath. However, Lucifer, who is now at a similar stage as the Elohim were on the old moon, still wants to perform the same thing. He can make use only of human beings for this. He can allow the error to be thought only within the human being. Because it is not possible at the moment for me to speak with each of you individually. I wish to give three formulations that can be meditated in whichever way you wish. For instance, you could meditate the first one in the morning, the second in the evening, and the third on Sunday. Or you could do the first and second on Mondays and Thursdays, and the third only now and then as a test of what was experienced in the other two meditations. They will then become quite clear to us. Verse number 1. I turn to things. I turn with my senses. Sense being, you deceive me. What flees existence as nothing is being and essence to you. May what must seem to you worth nothing reveal itself within me. First line, I turn to things. The soul should, as if with an inner gesture, turn to the things. Second line, I turn with my senses, strengthens the first line. I should really feel it inwardly. In the third line, I speak to sense existence. The soul should free itself from the physical, from the nothingness of the sense world. It should raise itself from the physical material to what is behind the things. This soul should spread itself far out into the space and sense. The good in me is eternal. It is the seed of something in the future. Ex Deo Nasimur. Verse number 2. Quote, Spirit light, warm me. Let me feel myself willing in you. What is well thought, cognized truth, how does the luminous eye experience you? Weaving error badly thought out, show yourself to the beacon of my soul that I may be weaving in myself. Close quote. With this verse, we should immerse ourselves in ourselves, into the solitude of the soul. The I, capital, contracts, pulls itself together as tightly as possible. It recognizes what it bears of the good and noble and of the evil and foolish thoughts in its soul. Yet the I senses that both the evil and the good are necessary. The evil is the future nourishment for the good. The good will feed itself like a sprouting seed that consumes the evil and the depravity. And the good remains eternally. 
Both the good and the evil are taken up by Christ and carried into the future. If the good that we have engendered is to bring forth fruit there, we must carry it into Christ. In blank moremor. Verse 3, quote, Luminous eye and beacon soul, hover above true being of becoming. What is thought out, what cognized, condenses now to spirit being. And like pearls of existence there dwells in the sea of divine truth what deceives the sense's existence. Close quote. One could consider it an error that there are two subjects and that, in spite of this, the verb is in the singular. I must admit that I did not notice this at first, as the mantras were given to me out of the spiritual world. One just accepts them and becomes clear about them only later. In the spiritual world there is so little that is theoretical. Everything is experienced. Just as little was there any personal intention behind every verse consisting of seven lines. The third verse should be a test for the other two. We should examine how much the meditating of the other two has worked in a fruitful way. Then we will behold a chalice. As in a spiritual communion, our soul will unite with the cosmic spirit, weaving and flowing through the universe. We shall be resurrected through the Holy Spirit. Per spiritum sanctum revivissimus. When we really live in these three mantras, we experience at the same time what is said in the three parts of our ten-word Rosicrucian mantra that is of such infinitely deep and manifold significance and meaning. The end of that esoteric lesson. Esoteric lesson given in Munich on March 31, 1914. It has already often been stressed that we must differentiate between our progress in esoteric development on the one hand and the noticing of this progress on the other. All esotericists make progress if they do their esoteric exercises loyally and regularly, even when they are dissatisfied with the results. The sincere striving is what matters. We actually become a different human being through these exercises. This happens in any case, even though we do not notice it. For in all of these exercises, whether given in books or orally, lie the forces that loosen the etheric body and draw it out of the physical body. It is quite something else now to become aware of these changes. This soul can actually already have spiritual organs, but the difference is whether the soul is asleep or awake in its spiritual surroundings. The soul needs great strength and preparation in order to awaken and become conscious. For this reason, in these lectures, descriptions will be given of what the soul experiences upon awakening in the spiritual world. Many make the becoming conscious difficult for themselves, because they still always imagine the spiritual world to be like a second physical world, only finer. That is a great hindrance, because they do not notice the fine, subtle symptoms of awakening. Such prejudices must be eliminated. Those who still have them are like people who go up in a hot air balloon and think they can disembark at any moment up there and rest on a mountain peak. Those who take in the esoteric 
explanations correctly, however, can, first of all, grasp how the spiritual world is experienced upon the awakening of the soul. In order to achieve this, we must ask ourselves, what is thinking actually? What thinks in me? Materialists who deny the suprasensible would say, the physical body, the brain, thinks. One should ask them if they have ever perceived thinking with the senses. Naturally, they have not. Never has thinking been heard, seen, or felt, not as warmth or anything similar, by anyone. It follows that it is not physical or corporeal, because what belongs to the body is sense-perceptible. Thus, thinking is suprasensible. The materialists would either have to admit that the suprasensible world exists or should renounce thinking as nonsense, which would perhaps be good. Thus, with our thinking, we are always within the suprasensible world, but in such a way that we do not experience it ourselves. Just as if we were to go out on the sea but would not see ourselves or our boat, so it is approximately with human thinking. We do not experience the thinking itself directly. What we experience of it, the thoughts are, reflections of the thinking and of our body. Just as when we stand in front of a mirror we see our reflected image, so the thinking soul sees the reflected image of its thinking. The brain is the mirror. Through the esoteric training, we should now come to experience the thinking itself and not just the thoughts. Just as we see the surface of the mirror when we step in front of it, so too must the soul come to see the body from outside as a mirroring apparatus. Then we will know how the thoughts come into being, and we will experience ourselves in the world out of which the thinking reaches as thought into the sense world. All of this can be grasped by every healthy intellect and it is important for theosophists to become quite clear about all of this in order to be armed against the objection that theosophy is based on belief and faith, that one would have to believe in the existence of the supersensible world. This is not true. Everyone can grasp this existence if they apply their thinking correctly. Those who cannot understand it are foolish, even if they are philosophers. It is yet a long way from grasping the possibility of experiencing the supersensible world through thinking to the actual knowledge itself. Only through long work of the soul upon itself can this knowledge be attained, but it will be achieved. The first sign of awakening in the spiritual world is a feeling of becoming larger, as if we spread ourselves out, as if we float out, in the sense world I am here, and the object is there. From the object an impression comes to me. Consciousness arises because we bump against the objects with our organs of touch, hearing, seeing. In the spiritual world we cease to be closed up within ourselves. We feel ourselves as if spread out into other beings. In the physical world we experience everything from within our skin, for instance, a prick of a needle. It is different in the spiritual world. 
their thinking and feeling flow out. We feel pleasure and pain in others. For instance, if we meet someone who died and who is in pain, we must experience the pain together with this person, as long as we are spiritually connected with each other. Through this change, our relationship to the sense world also becomes quite different. The way we usually experience the physical world depends on the fact that our body, through which we experience, is also material. If we bump our head against a hard object, we feel it because our head does not give way, that is, because it is hard and of the same nature as the object. However, if we view this sense world with our suprasensible perception and experience, no impression comes toward us from the object. The spiritual organs are, as it were, too soft and give way. For this reason, all of the physical things appear like empty spaces. A comparison can give an idea of this. Water in the glass is itself invisible. In soda water, the bubbles are visible. And yet the bubbles are much thinner than the water. They are, in comparison to the heavier fluid, a nothingness. Thus here a nothingness is visible, and a something is invisible. Truly this is how it is for the spiritual sight in the physical world. All of the atoms, which for science until recently formed the basis of all materiality, are, like the bubbles in the water, merely holes or empty bubbles in the spiritual. All physical things are composed of an enormous sum of such holes. We bump against these holes, this nothingness, when we touch. It is this way also with the human form. For instance, the brain is, spiritually seen, a spiritual form. Within this form are countless holes or empty bubbles. These make up what the scientists examine with their instruments. And there ensues that we feel all the good, the correct and the true streaming out of us. We feel it as if growing into the future, as building seeds for the future. However, also the incorrect, bad and ugly that we feel and think grow outward. We feel it as something quite real that streams out from us. And we know that the bad thoughts flowing from us will serve as nourishment for the good in the future. Therefore we learn to understand why so many bad, incorrect, ugly thoughts and feelings assault us during meditation. When we know that they are necessary forces, nourishment for the future, we will also judge them correctly. We will not need to complain about them if we are strong enough not to let them flow into our will and our actions, and therein lies a great secret. The same forces that form the basis of our evil thoughts were rayed forth on the old moon from hierarchical beings, from the angels up to the spirits of form. But Lucifer and Araman remained behind, and ray forth these forces only now. Now, however, these forces work into the physical nature, which has condensed further in the meantime. They work right into the blood of the human being. Through this the evil comes into being. In themselves they are not evil. 
esotericists must let these forces work upon themselves, but must not allow them to condense into the physical. Then they remain of value for the good thoughts of the future. In order to further advance and support the experience of these first steps in the spiritual world, the following formulations, verses, are given. Beginning esotericists should use them so that the first verse is done in the morning, the second is done in the evening after the review of the day, and the third is done every few days. More experienced esotericists should not disturb their exercises with these, but should take them up occasionally doing the first and the second directly after each other. The third verse can be taken up once a week, for instance, on Sundays. That each of these verses has seven lines was not intentional or made up. Such a thing emerges quite naturally on its own. The spiritual content reveals itself in such a way that it presses itself into this seven-line form. Verse number one. I turn to things, I turn with my senses. Sense being, you deceive me. What flees existence as nothing is being and essence to you. May what must seem to you worth nothing reveal itself within me. Number two, spirit light, warm me. Let me feel myself willing in you. What is well thought, cognized truth? How does the luminous eye experience you? Weaving error, badly thought out, show yourself to the beacon of my soul, that I may be weaving in myself. Verse number three. Luminous eye and beacon soul, hover above true being of becoming. What is thought out, what cognized, condenses now to spirit being. And like pearls of existence there dwells in the sea of divine truth what deceives the senses' existence. Close quote. Lines 1 and 3 of the third verse gave much to think about. The verse was revealed, but it seemed to be grammatically incorrect, that it says in the German Schwebet, hovers, floats, instead of schweben, hover, float. Later it became clear that this was intended. Leuchtend ich und leuchte Seele, luminous eye and beacon soul, are to be thought of as one entity. In the same way, in the following line, das erdachte, das erkannte, what is thought out, what cognized, should be handled as one. In the physical world, to think and to know are not one and the same. In the spiritual, they flow together. Something that has been thought out is either false, in which case it destroys itself, or it is correct, and then it is also a revelation, knowledge. Such formulations, also all that, for instance, are given in title Outline of Esoteric Science, are not thought up or invented. The intellect plays at first absolutely no part in it. The thought things are revealed to the seers. Revelations stand there on their own. Only then must the seers go to work on them with the intellect, just as do those to whom the seers communicate the revelations. The first verse indicates the experience that the physical things appear. 
like bubbles in the water, to consist of nothingness. The soul recognizes the usual sense existence as illusion and strives for knowledge of the truly real. The second verse describes the experience of the raying forth of the good and the evil thoughts. The third formulation or verse is to be used, as it were, as a test for the progress made. When we meditate it, we must speak the words inwardly in such a way that they all make sense. We should try through these lines to discover how far we are, whether, for instance, we already experience something with the words Das er dachte, das er kannte, wird jetzt dich des Geistes sein. What is thought out, what cognized, condense now to spirit being. Naturally, the work with this verse must be continued each week with perseverance and patience. We can also see these verses as a paraphrasing of the mantras that always form the close of these lessons. The first verse indicates how sense materiality becomes insubstantial upon our growing into the spiritual world and how the spiritual reality is recognized as that out of which we come into being, ex Deo Nasimur. The second verse describes the experience of the good and evil thoughts as forces working in the future. However, that is possible only when the soul is surrounded and illumined by the spiritual light, Christ, after it has lifted itself out of the physical, in Christo Morimor. And the third verse represents how knowledge reveals itself to the soul that is awakening in the spirit. Per spiritum sanctum revivissimus. The end of that esoteric lesson. Esoteric lesson given in Berlin on April 25th, 1914. Record A. We spoke in our last esoteric study of how the soul should more and more spread itself out and pour itself into space, and of how it then should contract into itself to see what weaves and works within itself. For this, dear sisters and brothers, formulations, meditations are given that you can use in the way you wish and that can be given to others who are not here with us to hear the esoteric lesson. Today you will receive a different contemplation placed before your soul, something concrete, a mood that can help you enter into the spiritual world. Let us call to mind what takes place during sleep. The etheric body and physical body remain in bed, while the astral body and I are outside of the spiritual world. Why is it then that human beings do not experience consciously the world they find themselves in during sleep, as they do the physical world during day consciousness. They do not have conscious experience during sleep because while they are outside of their body, they have a yearning, a strong impulse to return to their physical body. This yearning works as a darkening in relation to the brightness of the spiritual world, such that the human beings do not perceive anything of it. The astral forces active in them work so strongly that they would not leave their physical body at all if the astral body did not become so exhausted and depleted in the sense world that it urgently needed strengthening and refreshing through sleep. This drive, this yearning for their physical body, 
is what hinders human beings from experiencing consciously in the spiritual worlds during sleep. If they were clairvoyant, they would see how bright rays shine forth from their astral body and eye to their etheric body and physical body. This yearning to be reunited is expressed in these rays. Let us assume that people would suddenly become clairvoyant during sleep. What would they see there? When we meet people here on the physical plane, their physical form, in which an I lives, confronts us. It is different in the spiritual world. We must not think that we see the human being in the same form as on the physical plane. Here in the physical world we see things more with sharp contours. It is different in the spiritual world. What weaves and works there are moving images, and we recognize these moving images to be beings. The spirits of the higher hierarchies that send out their messengers, their helpers, to give the human form the right expression. These emissaries, these messengers of the spirits of form, are still at the stage of childhood, as it were. They will work their way upward to the same degree that they nurture the human eye. Another group of elemental beings, the guardians of the eye-being, hover around the head. They work on our thinking and are sent out by the spirits of form and the spirits of movement. And yet other elemental beings, emissaries of the spirits of wisdom, work on the human heart and bring about the circulation of the blood. Further, there are elemental beings that work on the human being's sense of warmth. We may not imagine this as being physical, where the warmth comes from a specific source. Rather, in the spiritual, the warmth arises out of the relationship between two beings. Again, other elemental beings work on the word sense. This does not mean that these beings work on the spoken word that others can hear, but that they stand behind the individual consonants and vowels that build a word. They work on the composition of the letters and syllables. Those who are outside of their body cannot understand words that are being spoken because they lack the physical organ necessary for it. They can, however, follow the work of the elemental beings as they bring together the individual letters in order to build a word. The human being has twelve senses, and not just five, as the other science would have us believe. Our senses are the light sense, sight, thought sense, warmth sense, balance sense, word sense, life sense, smell, taste, hearing, feeling, sense of movement, and eye sense. Behind these twelve senses are elemental beings that are servants and helpers of the spirits of form, the spirits of movement, and the spirits of wisdom. Now these elemental beings are still to a certain extent in the stage of childhood, but they will develop in the same measure as the human beings progress and develop themselves upward to the Jupiter condition. These elemental beings will one day build the zodiac of Jupiter. They will be the zodiac constellations of Jupiter 
after the earth has completed its seven periods and has emerged from the pralaya again in a new configuration in the Jupiter planetary condition. It is exactly the same process as what formerly worked on us during the old moon and now stands behind our senses and became what is now the zodiac of the earth. Jupiter will also have a sun. Behind it will stand the beings that work into our blood system today. Only with the greatest as we and admiration can we look upon how whole groups of elemental beings are actively working on the wonderful temple of the human body. In earnest meditation, my dear sisters and brothers, put yourself into this mood of witnessing how countless elementals construct the temple that shall build the home for the human eye. Why is it that we do not see that these elemental beings are at work? It is because in the moment of our waking up, the guardian of the threshold conceals the spiritual worlds from us. Waking up means nothing other than chasing away those elemental beings from their field of work. Just as soon as we are in our day consciousness, Araman sees to it that the spiritual world is covered up for us. He paints the picture of this sense world. And because we give ourselves over to the great illusionist, the Maya, the souls, the beings that work on the spiritual organization of the human being, become invisible for us. What we know as the physical body is all a product of Araman. In contrast, we must recognize the work of Lucifer in what we experience as soul life, exclusively in the physical body. Lucifer fills our soul with so much arrogance and delusion that it receives false ideas and feelings in relation to the spiritual world. Ex Deonasimur, in blank morimur, per spiritum sanctum revivissimus. From God we are born, in blank we die, through the Holy Spirit we come to life again. End of record A. Record B. The last esoteric lesson concerned itself with the efforts we must make in order to progress esoterically and ended with the threefold meditation. Today we want to discuss more esoteric actualities and so treat a subject that we all already know, sleep. Why are we not conscious during sleep? It is because the astral forces do not allow it. They are so strong that they numb us. The astral forces express themselves in what fills us completely during sleep, namely, the burning wish to be in our physical body. It is this wish that darkens our consciousness. If we could be conscious during sleep, we could look upon the wonder of the structure of our physical body and etheric body and would notice how legions of spiritual beings, elemental beings, are working in this physical body. These elemental beings are servants and messengers, partly of the spirits of form and partly of the spirits of movement. If we really want to contemplate the spiritual world correctly, we must think away, out of the spiritual world, everything that exists in the physical world, including the space. 
In the spiritual world, there are no things and facts like in the physical world, but only beings and relationships of beings with one another, deeds of the beings. If, for instance, we feel warmth in the spiritual world, this does not come from an object, but it radiates forth from a being. It signifies the relationship of one spiritual being with another. It is the same with a stream of light. Why do we not really perceive the physical body and etheric body? Why are we not conscious of the weaving, working, and living of countless elemental beings in us? We are not aware of them because the wish to be an I, to live in our physical body, fills us so passionately through Lucifer during sleep that we perceive absolutely nothing else. Otherwise we would see the physical and etheric bodies as a wonder upon which legions of elemental spirits work. What do they work on? On our senses. We can differentiate twelve groups of elemental beings that work on our twelve senses. Human beings have twelve senses. The sense of I, capital, sense of life, sense of one's own movement, sense of balance, sight, hearing, touch, smell, taste, sense of speech, sense of thought, and sense of warmth. And now, in order to live in our I, every morning upon awakening and returning to our body, we drive away the beings that work on us in the night. In order to feel ourselves completely in our I, we drive the hierarchies out of our physical and etheric bodies. Who are you, O human being, that legions of spirits work on your physical and etheric bodies? The messengers and servants, some of the spirits of form and some of the spirits of movement, hover around our head. These messengers take care of our eye. In our brain work the elemental beings that make human thinking possible. Again, other elemental spirits work on the organs that enable us to understand speech, but not to be able to speak, mind you. They are the elemental beings that stand as spiritual beings behind the sounds, behind the individual vowels and consonants. Thus these twelve groups of servants of the hierarchies work out the forms in which the I can live. When we look into the spiritual world at these working beings themselves, we have the impression that they are young spirits, that in their childhood have the task of nurturing and caring for the human eye. Later, when they are further along in their development, they are predestined for other evolutionary work. On Jupiter they will be the servants of the zodiac and beings of Jupiter. One day they will work down from the zodiac of Jupiter. It is the same with the twelve groups of elemental spirits that now build our senses as with those that built our senses on the old moon and are today the beings of our zodiac. Just as a sun shines upon our earth, so too as surely as we develop ourselves into the Jupiter existence will the sun shine upon this Jupiter. The beings that will live and work in this sun are the beings that are now servants of the spirits of wisdom and which live in our blood circulation. The spiritual beings that regulate the course of our blood will one day regulate the course of the sun 
of the Jupiter condition. We are also in the spiritual world during the day when we are awake, but we do not know it because we do not see the wonder of our body, the world of the spiritual beings that weaving and working fill the space. Why do we not see the spiritual world around us during the day? Because Araman shoves the picture of the sense world in front of it. Oh, he is a great artist, for this world is great and magnificent, but it is not the true world. We do not see Araman himself in the physical world, but only his work, his deed. We see him only in the spiritual world. Lucifer is the one that does not allow us to become conscious of the spiritual world in the night. He blunts the feeling for the spiritual world while he endeavors to bring about the feeling and yearning for the physical world. That is why we see the physical body instead of the work of the beings on our senses. That is Lucifer's deed. Since experience is Lucifer's deed, world experience is Araman's deed. During the day we are totally in our senses. We occupy them completely. During the night the servants of the hierarchies, the divine, spiritual, elemental beings are within and work on our senses. A wise cosmic guide allowed the intervention of Lucifer and Araman so that we can properly attain our goal as human beings. A meditation that is especially effective for attaining a proper esoteric feeling and sensing is to imbue oneself before falling asleep with the feeling, I am now entering a spiritual world, a wonderful world of the gods, in which the divine spiritual beings of the higher hierarchies live and work. They take loving care of me and send their forces out and bear me upon their wings. And through them I am a force in the spiritual world. They nurture me as soul. E-D-N If we, when outside of our physical and etheric bodies, during sleep, can, for moments, suppress the wish to be in our body, so that it does not fill us completely, and so that not we, but Christ is in us, then we get a sense of the I-C-M. This occurs when Christ, who is the power of all the hierarchies, is in our body, and not just we ourselves, who want to enter it and drive out the servants of the hierarchies that are working there on our sense organs. If both feelings, E-D-N and I-C-M, are properly experienced, then the third feeling, P-S-S-R, comes of itself. The Holy Spirit is born through the first two feelings. We can penetrate thus ever deeper into our Rosicrucian formulation, mantra, that the masters of wisdom and the harmony of feelings explain by saying to us, quote, In the spirit lay the germ of my body, and the spirit has imprinted in my body the eyes of sense, that through them I may see the light of bodies, and the Spirit has imprinted in my body reason and sensation and feeling and will, that through them I may perceive bodies and act upon them. In the Spirit lay the germ of my body. 
in my body lies the germ of the spirit, and I will incorporate into my spirit the supersensuous eyes, that through them I may behold the light of spirits, and I will imprint in my spirit wisdom and power and love, so that through me the spirits may act and I become the self-conscious organ of their deeds. In my body lies the germ of the spirit. Record C. My dear sisters and brothers, we can know a great deal of anthroposophy and be able to quickly answer all possible questions, and yet must say to ourselves, actually, if I want to be honest, I must admit that I do not progress well in my meditations. What should I do to better move forward? Quite often the reason students must say such a thing is that they do not immerse their souls completely in the element of devoutness in relation to the spiritual beings. The deepest reverence must hold sway in their soul if they want to raise themselves up to these beings. No thought or feeling from the daily life may be in the students. They must be totally still within themselves. In such a mood we want to contemplate human sleep from a certain side. We know that during sleep the astral body and eye leave the physical body and etheric body. However, the eye knows nothing of this. It remains unconscious. The consciousness of the eye and astral body is awake only on the physical plane. Why is this? It is because the moment the eye and astral body are outside, they have a burning desire to be reunited with the physical and etheric bodies. That is the reason consciousness does not awaken in the spiritual world. Just as soon as the eye is back in the physical body, it awakens to the things presented to it by the senses. If human beings did not have this burning desire, they would immediately become conscious in the spiritual world. Then they would see a world full of life around them, but it would be totally different from the physical world. They would perceive a world of spiritual beings and forces. And the students would see that all of these beings and forces tend toward a single central point and would see that this central point is their own physical body and etheric body. If we as human beings would go further and could make observations outside of our body in the spiritual world to the point where we could observe our eye or that of another, we would then see that the human eye is the target of the spiritual being's work. And we would recognize these beings as messengers and servants of the spirits of form and in part of the spirits of movement. And we would know that these beings working on the human eye are in progress. They are involved in their own development. By nurturing and caring for the human eye, they develop themselves at the same time. Clairvoyance would see behind every human being such a group of beings taking care of the human eye. And if the clairvoyance would look at the physical body and etheric body, they would again see crowds of elemental beings that they would recognize as servants of the spirits of movement, spirits of wisdom, and spirits of form. And human beings would recognize in reverence and devoutness that all of these elemental beings are working on the temple of the physical body 
and etheric body, while the human beings themselves are outside of their body temple. Waking up is nothing other than driving these beings from their field of work and taking their place with our egotistical earthly eye. There are twelve categories of such beings. Human beings have twelve senses and these beings work on them. We have the warmth sense, the eye sense, the thought sense, balance sense, word sense, life sense, smell, taste, sight, hearing, touch, and movement sense. The word sense works in such a way that when we hear another person speak, we do not hear the word spoken, but the individual vowels and consonants out of which the word was formed. We know how these beings work upon the temple of humanity given to the human eye by the Godhead. And we know that the human eye destroys this temple again and again by allowing Araman and Lucifer to seduce us. Of course, it will be clear to the clairvoyant that what we consider to be the physical body, what we can touch and take hold of, is not the temple that is being referred to. The clairvoyant knows this temple to be the spiritual organization that stands behind the physical body. And these spiritual beings work on this spiritual organization. What we call our physical body, what as such is in the physical surroundings, is all the product of Araman. We meet his products in everything that is physical. And we know when we come to the point of experiencing ourselves outside the physical and etheric bodies that our whole soul life that we bear within us through the physical body is the work of Lucifer. Lucifer is at work in all of our thinking, feeling, and willing that is stimulated only through the emotions caused by the sense world. The clairvoyant knows that these elemental beings strive to remove the effects of Lucifer and Araman. These effects exhibit themselves as physical illness, as well as psychologically as soul pain, fear, anxiety, and mental illnesses. These elemental beings strive to heal the human being by removing these effects of Araman and Lucifer. These beings are servants of the lofty spirit beings that now shine upon our earth and the human world from the forces of the zodiac. These elemental beings are the spirit messengers of the forces of our zodiac, and out of this circumference they all work into the center point, our earth. All human beings may feel themselves as a center point of the work of these elemental beings and of the spiritual beings working upon their eye. Our earth passes over into a spiritual condition, which is called the pralaya, once it has gone through its prescribed seven evolutionary stages. It will then emerge again in a new configuration as Jupiter. The elemental beings that now are the messengers of our zodiac will then become the zodiac of Jupiter. That is their development. Now they are working on what stands spiritually behind our senses. The end of record C. Record D. The last time our esoteric lesson treated the spreading out of oneself in the etheric atmosphere, and it ended in the three mantric formulations. This time we will start with life during sleep. 
When we sleep, our eye and astral body are in the spiritual world. But we cannot perceive anything there. We could become almost fearful and ask whether it will also be the case after death that although we are in the spiritual world, we will not be able to perceive anything. Spiritual researchers know, however, that we all have a drive, a wish, of which we ourselves are not conscious, but which asserts itself the moment we are outside of the body. This wish is to descend again into the body and to experience ourselves within it. If we were clairvoyant in our sleep, we would notice how we look back upon our body and see the body as a wonderfully beautiful world. The more we have an open eye, E-Y-E, for all the beauty in nature, the more we can marvel at the beauty of the bodily world in which divine beings are working and which is a temple for these beings. We see how twelve classes of elemental beings work on the twelve senses of the physical body and that these beings are the servants of the Elohim, which gave us our form on earth. These spirits, the servants, are now still in their childhood, so to speak, but their work on our twelve bodily senses will help them develop, so that as the earth evolves, they will become the forces of the zodiac for the Jupiter planetary condition. They will be the direct mediators of the gods of the zodiac for Jupiter. There will also be a sun, and the beings that will work there in the sun forces are the elemental beings that work now in our blood circulation. This can give us a feeling for the sacredness of our bodily temple, and it is good to feel within ourselves the knowledge of the cosmic forces working in this temple. But now at the same time, if we were to perceive this clairvoyantly, we would see the wish arise in us to penetrate this body with our own eye, capital, to drive away the elemental beings and enter into it ourselves. How is it that when we stand on earth in our usual consciousness, everything is different, and that we are so totally different from this divine luminous temple? Araman throws the view of the material world as a veil over our eyes, and thus hides from us the divine world, that weaves in the physical. And what allows us to experience our ordinary eye consciousness in this physical world is Lucifer, who brings us the feeling of the personal eye. Perhaps there is only one thing we can do, and that is to meditate and thus, bracket, the record breaks off here, close bracket, end of record D, record E, the last esoteric study was dedicated to the description of the processes of the etheric body on the one hand, which spreads itself out more and more in meditation, and on the other hand of the inward concentrating and contracting of the eye within itself. Today's lesson shall be devoted to more such factual things. With sleeping human beings, we see the astral body and the eye lifted out of the physical and etheric bodies and living in the spiritual world. Why can we not consciously know anything there? It is because our eye and astral body continually yearn for the physical body and strive to reunite with it. This is also the case after death. If we were to become suddenly clairvoyant, 
during sleep we would know how spiritual beings work on our physical body. These beings are elemental spirits, servants of the hierarchies. Certain spiritual beings work on a specific human sense, and certain others work on another sense. The human being has twelve senses, and so working upon the senses are twelve groups of elemental beings that are servants of the higher hierarchies. When the earth later advances to the Jupiter existence, the sky with its stars, moon and sun will not be spread over it like today. Indeed, there will be a sun, but it will be emitting tones. The forces of the elemental spirits that now work upon our senses will then form the zodiac of Jupiter, just as during the moon existence, the forces of beings that worked on our senses now work down upon the earth out of the twelve constellations of our current zodiac. We should look up with gratitude to the gods that made this wonder of our body the purpose of their work. The end of record E. Record F. Twelve kinds of elemental spirits take care of us and work on our twelve senses, sharpening them anew in our sleep. These beings serve the spirits of form and the spirits of movement. During the Jupiter existence, these beings will be the spirits of the twelve signs of the zodiac. The spirits of the twelve signs of the Earth's zodiac worked in this way during the old moon existence. The sun spirits of Jupiter are today elemental spirits that are subordinate to the spirits of wisdom, and they work on the human blood circulation. We do not perceive the spiritual world during sleep because astral forces give us a yearning for the physical body. Just as soon as the physical body lets the eye and astral body in again, these elemental beings leave. Araman paints the picture of the sense world as a veil before the spiritual world. Lucifer darkens the spiritual world itself before the human being. It's the end of record F, the end of that esoteric lesson. Esoteric lesson given in Kassel on May 9, 1914. Mantra for Saturday. My dear sisters and brothers, in the ordinary day consciousness, we know nothing about what is behind our sensing, imagining, thinking, feeling, and willing. We are in our dream life in what stands behind our day consciousness, in this living, weaving background. A part of this living world that we otherwise do not perceive reaches into our life in the chaotic images of our dreams. If we could awaken halfway out of the dream, we would then experience around us a surging wave in which our soul has lived from the beginning of our sleep. And if we would fully awaken, we would then bring into our day consciousness a consciousness, a memory of the living, weaving dream life during sleep. It is physically impossible to wake up halfway, as described, we must pass immediately and completely into the consciousness of the senses. For this reason we know nothing of that other world. Actually, however, we always dream. This living, weaving dream world is always around us, and we are in it. We just do not know it. It is a characteristic of the dream that we forget it quite easily, that we rarely can remember it. 
We forget it much more easily than anything we experience with our day consciousness. We cannot bring up the dream again. People dream of things that are connected only with their day consciousness because they actually think nothing that goes beyond this daily life. Only when they fill their thoughts with ideas, feelings, etc., that reach above and beyond their daily life, can they also dream of something that has its origin in the spiritual. Human beings know nothing of the spiritual behind all their thinking, feeling, and willing in the physical life. We can manage to attain the consciousness of this spiritual from yet another side. There are pictures on this page, 273. Stream of the spiritual until death. There's a picture, birth or conception, new soul seed. At birth or conception, the spiritual stream pours itself into the physical, builds up and streams and pulsates through the whole organism. During the course of life, there forms within this organism the soul seed for the next life. This soul seed continues beyond death. However, we know nothing of either the original spiritual element that streams out of the earlier life into the physical existence with birth or conception, or of the soul seed that forms for the next life. What do we then actually know about? Our life falls into two parts. The one part is from birth to the point of our earliest memory, and the other is from this point of the earliest memory on to death. When we are in our thirtieth year of life and remember back to the point of our earliest memory, we come to a boundary, the boundary of the inflowing spiritual. And we perceive this boundary through bumping into it, we become aware of it. Such bumps in life remain in our recollection and build our memories. Our memories collect together and this is our consciousness and physical life. Just as in the plant the seed for a new plant develops, so too do we work on the forces that will later form our new life. Good for those who have stored up good and beautiful memories. The spiritual element from the former life that built the new body from the time of birth and streams through it gradually fades and passes away during life. It has often been said that after death the great memory tableau appears first. Upon leaving the physical body we come first to this boundary where all the memories are stored. We see these memories as a large tableau before us. The memory of some experience can be forgotten for a whole lifetime until it is suddenly brought into the consciousness. It was always there. It is just like when one puts salt into water and it falls to the bottom as a sediment, as it were. It can be brought up from the bottom by stirring it. So too are our memories, so to speak, a sediment that can be brought to the surface again. When we pour seltzer in a glass, we see little bubbles rise. We do not see the water that is actually real, but only what is nothing, the bubbles of carbon dioxide. That we see. That appears to us as reality. Where nothingness bumps against something, we perceive this nothingness as something. Thus we become aware only of the boundary between the new soul essence and the old spiritual. Where they bump into each other, we become aware of something, 
and that makes up our day-waking consciousness. Consciousness arises through the touching or contact between the past and the future. Now we can approach this from a third side to become aware of the spiritual. Not only do human beings think and their thoughts and memories remain behind as a deposit, but also the spiritual beings thought and still think. With the lofty hierarchies thought in ages past, the memories that have remained from these thoughts are what we perceive here as mountains, clouds, streams, in short, what we have around us as nature. The physical sun is the remaining memory of the sun leader, of Christ, who later with the event of Golgotha entered into the earth and became the spirit of the earth. And the memories of what the lofty beings on the moon thought are the plants, animals, and also the physical body of the human being. The spiritual beings there thought the error. There it had its rightful place, but they did not do the error. When we human beings think good, noble thoughts, they remain in existence. We see them in the distant future as having eternal existential worth. However, also what we think that is false, an error or wicked, continues to exist. We see it in the distant future as a waste product that serves as nourishment for the seed, which proceeds out of the good that was thought just as we now nourish ourselves from the error thoughts of the spirits of the old moon condition. In itself, this waste product is unfruitful, yet it serves as nourishment for the germ or seed that develops out of the good, just as the mineral kingdom provides the soil for the plants, and just as the one always nourishes the other. The good feeds itself from the evil, like a sprouting seed that consumes the wickedness and yet remains eternal itself. However, we may only think of the bad, the evil. We may not allow it to become deed, to become reality, because that is always Luciferic and Aramonic. Lucifer, who is now at a similar stage as the Elohim were on the moon, wants to think the error now, just as those beings did then. For those beings, at that time, it was the right thing to do. Now it is wrong. Lucifer can cause the error to be thought only in human beings. Thus we have error and illusion. We must become ever more conscious of them. Where the memories of the lofty hierarchies are, we become aware of something. Because we hit our hand, which was built out of the memory of the gods, against a wall that also is memory, the boundaries of these realities crash into one another. Through this we become aware of this object. Thus, where this reality ends and there is nothing there, we sense reality or matter in day consciousness and sense the other as nothing. We feel neither our hand nor the wall, but only the boundary between them. The table is not reality, but rather a hole in the spiritual world, a hole that is filled with wood. Only we in our ordinary consciousness take the table to be reality. If through meditation we could make ourselves so strong that we could dampen down this day consciousness and that we become completely aware of the nothingness 
or void of the surroundings, then we would always experience ourselves with our soul in the spiritual world. To accomplish this strengthening of our soul, three verses for meditation were given to us. It matters that we meditate them in the right way, that we do not simply say the words as it were, but that we hear the expression that must be put into them if they are to work in the right way upon our souls. Quote, I turn to things. I turn with my senses. Sense being, you deceive me. What flees existence as nothing is being and essence to you. May what must seem to you worth nothing reveal itself within me. Close quote. With the first verse, the two, first two lines are descriptive and then comes repulsion or resistance. Then again it becomes descriptive and at the close comes a petition. Beginners can meditate this verse in the evening after their review of the day. Those who already have a practice can take up this verse at any time they wish. Quote, Spirit light, warm me. Let me feel myself willing in you. What is well-thought, cognized truth? How does the luminous eye experience you? Weaving error, badly thought out, show yourself to the beacon of my soul that I may be weaving in myself. With the second verse, the question in the fourth line should be especially stressed. The verse closes with a plea. Beginners can do this first in the morning. Others may do it at any time they wish. Yet a third verse is given to us to attempt a counsel from time to time in order to ask ourselves if we sense the spiritual world already as truth and reality. Quote, Luminous eye and beacon soul, hover above true being of becoming, what is thought out, what cognized, condenses now to spirit being. And like pearls of existence there dwells in the sea of divine truth what deceives the sense's existence. Parenthesis, as Dr. Steiner received these words from the spiritual world, he realized that the predicate in the second line of the third verse should actually be in the plural. Then he realized that luminous eye and beacon soul are one and the same, and that it is quite correct that the verb schwebet in the German should be in the singular. When we receive such a thing as this, we must often learn from it and realize only later from it what is meant. Close parenthesis. These verses were given in three seven-line stanzas. This was not accidental or thought out by Dr. Steiner to make it work out that way. Everything that is inspired out of the spiritual world reveals itself in numbers. The words are merely the means and opportunity through which the spirits express themselves. The being that let these verses flow in gave thereby the promise to help with recognizing the difference between the real and the unreal. By letting these verses pass again and again through our soul, we give the being that gave these verses the opportunity to speak to our soul. This being helps us to bring about in ourselves the proper effect of the verses in each and every one of us. These verses are expressed in a shortened way in the Rosicrucian mantra, verse 1, ex Deo nasimur, verse 2, in Christo morimur, verse 3, per spiritum sanctum revivissimus. 
There are also contained in the words with which we close our esoteric lessons, quote, In the spirit lay the germ of my body, and the spirit has imprinted in my body the eyes of sense, that, through them, I may see the light of bodies. And the Spirit has imprinted in my body reason and sensation and feeling and will, that through them I may perceive bodies and act upon them. In the Spirit lay the germ of my body. In my body lies the germ of the Spirit, and I will incorporate into my Spirit the supersensuous eyes, that through them I may behold the light of spirits. And I will imprint in my spirit wisdom and power and love, so that through me the spirits may act, and I become the self-conscious organ of their deeds. In my body lies the germ of the spirit. End of record A. Record B. E.D.N. I turn to things, I turn with my senses. Sense being, you deceive me. What flees existence as nothing is being and essence to you. May what must seem to you worth nothing reveal itself within me. I see am. Spirit light, warm me. Let me feel myself willing in you. What is well thought, cognized truth? How does the luminous eye experience you? Weaving error, badly thought out, show yourself to the beacon of my soul that I may be weaving in myself. P.S.S.R. Luminous eye and beacon soul, hover above true being of becoming. What is thought out, what cognized, condenses now to spirit being. And like pearls of existence there dwells in the sea of divine truth what deceives the sense's existence. Close quote. Nature is the thinking or pondering, the memory, of the divine beings of the sun and moon. Our thinking, feeling, and sensing are different than they seem. Our life between birth and death alternates among sleep and waking and dreaming. To the first stanza, we actually always dream. That is why we so easily forget what we have dreamt. We retain sense impressions so easily. Why do we not remember the dream? Because we are always dreaming. We can never come out of the dream. To the second stanza. What we perceive while we are awake is actually not there. What comes from the previous incarnation goes into the physical body. What we take into our life now will form our body in the following incarnation. What we perceive outwardly is neither the one, past, nor the other, future. It is merely the meeting of both, where they come together. To the third stanza. In a bottle of soda water we see the carbon dioxide, the gas bubbles, but not the water. What we perceive outwardly is like these bubbles. The reality, the actuality, remains hidden from us. When hate is there, one bumps against something in the spiritual world. That is the end of that esoteric lesson and the end of this 
Section 6 of the book, up to page 280.